Welcome to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Join RJ and Dylan as they discuss each week's Seattle Kraken news and top stories from around the league. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. How are you doing, Dylan? Pretty good. All right. Now, before we get into the news, I am looking at the weather app on my phone, and oh boy, we are in for another heat wave. I'm seeing a high of 95 degrees. Uh, This is not going to be good. So we have mentioned before on our YouTube channel that you have air conditioning, and I do not. So, Dylan, first question of the podcast to you. Can I come over on Friday, please? Yeah, of course. Sure. Cool. $5 entrance fee, though. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, got to take advantage. The air conditioning doesn't pay for itself, I'm sure. Exactly. So, I know that people might be listening to this a little later on in the week, possibly in that kind of unbearable heat. So, let's try and give them some practical advice here. You know, we're... Emerald City Hockey, we're looking out for you. We're suffering the heat like you are, at least I am. And uh, Dylan, what do you do to stay cool? How do you stay cool in a heat wave like this? Um, I mean, you know, cold showers are always good. Uh, Obviously, assuming you don't have air conditioning, cold showers, going to a store that does have air conditioning, it's a great time to, you know, browse a bookstore or go to the supermarket, I guess, and just wander around. That's usually my go-to thing. Yeah, no, that's that's good advice. You no, know, it's probably it's probably not best to just you know take a pack of frozen peas like you did last time and just slap it onto your face. If you're gonna you do know, that, if you're gonna do that, at least do it under your left arm, like you're having a heat stroke or something. That's the best way to cool off the body. You know, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, Dylan. I appreciate the left arm technique. I will try that next time. Uh, My one thing I would throw in there is like later at night, if maybe some of the stores are closed or whatever, there are the ice rinks. Like hockey is the solution to every problem. There are usually going to be beer league games going on, especially like, you know, this weekend. Check out a beer league game. It's uh, it's its own brand of entertainment. There's really nothing like it. The rink is cold. You can just sit down and watch. Who knows? I might be there. Uh, So that, that would be my bit of advice. So, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, can't go wrong with that. Yeah, so anyway, on to the Kraken news. Let's get to that. The Kraken signed four restricted free agents and two unrestricted free agents this past week. And we'll start with the RFAs because probably the biggest name was the biggest RFA, defenseman Vince Dunn. Uh, the Kraken would have gone to arbitration with Dunn. Dunn filed for arbitration. At hearing would have been on the 14th. But as we talked about uh, last week on the podcast, they came to an agreement beforehand. We both figured that would happen. It's a two-year deal at $4 million a year. And uh, Dylan, what do you think about that signing? It's perfect for them. Um, ideally, you would have liked to maybe see them lock him in long term, but it's clear that the defenseman market is shifting a lot right now. So I understand both team and player maybe opting for something shorter. Um as far as the cap hit number goes, $4 million a year, you know, that's the same price that they're paying for, like, Larson. I think Dunn's maybe a little bit better than Larson, certainly offensively. Uh, you know, he's going to be their power play quarterback. He's going to be the defenseman that's relied upon for offense. So to have that guy around who's 
one, proven that he can already do that, and two, looks to be um, looking forward to the increased ice time that this opportunity is going to provide him. To get that for four million a year is is pretty great. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair deal. It's you know it's good market value for him. Um, now you talked about. You're surprised it wasn't a longer-term deal. Typically, at Dunn's age, this is a time where some teams, if they feel really sold on a defenseman, will try and lock that guy up long-term and get a bargain before he really kind of takes off and, and hits that next level. Because we've seen what can happen in the market when you know a guy does hit that next level. All of a sudden, you're talking you know north of 7 mil, and then that's really difficult to do. So if you can kind of get him locked in long-term, a lot of teams will want to do that. But... I've just seen this kind of hesitancy from the Kraken where they don't necessarily want to do that. I think Ron Francis kind of hinted at this as far as how he's handling the defensemen when he said he's excited to see how they do in training camp to kind of decide which one to move. Because I know, you know, the Dunn trade rumors were still there. I think that's less likely now. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to move some defensemen. And when I was hearing Francis talk about that, you know, we're going to wait till training camp and kind of see how they perform. I'm thinking to myself training camp you know you got to move one of these guys now or you lose your leverage but and i think that might have happened but i think that seeing them in that situation of well how are they going to look on our team playing for us is really important to the organization yeah i think they want to see you know who's gelling with who um we talked about it you know at the draft they drafted a lot of guys that have some experience playing both sides of the ice so there's going to be a lot of experimenting for uh, Dave Haxtall as far as figuring out what his defensive pairings are going to be. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, fluidity to that. Um, I think Dunn's going to be around. I think at the end of the day, he's really the only, like, guy that's, you know, a real point producer that they have. Um, a lot of these guys are capable of producing some offense, but not quite at the level that Dunn is. Uh, you need, a, you know, a power play quarterback, at least one on the team. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, yes, they, they just have too many NHL caliber defensemen. You know, you can't, you can't be scratching two or three and just keeping that on the roster or, you know, there, some of them are, you know, you'd have to put them on waivers if you were going to send them down to Charlotte and then they're just going to get claimed that way and you're going to lose them for nothing. So at some point they are going to have to move somebody, but, um, yeah, I think Dunn's pretty locked in now. Yeah. Speaking of the defensemen and that that glut on defense that the Kraken have, they also signed RFA Will Borgen. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's another one of those defensemen. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's he's going to need waivers in order to be sent down. And I'm sure he would be picked up off waivers if he were. So that kind of highlights that issue. But, you know, where do you see Will Borgen fitting in? I don't know. He, to me, is probably going to be the, the seventh you know, defenseman, the guy who is scratched most nights, um, kind of, you know, fill in once there's an injury or maybe some guys need a night off. But to me, I just, I just feel like the six guys ahead of him, all one have more experience, and two, I just think they're they're better fits probably for what the Kraken want to do based on overall roster construction. Yeah, I think that seventh D spot is probably where he ends up because he does look like he's on the outside in, but you can't wave him. You can't lose him for nothing. Uh, so that just highlights, I guess, the need to move some of these other defensemen. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, 
you know, I'm looking at our projected roster or projected lineup right now, and it's, you know, you also have Hayden Flurry as a scratch, right? Like you can't, there's no way the Kraken are going to be able to hold on to both Borgen and Flurry as just healthy scratches every night. Like they just. Right. There's, there's going to have to be some decisions made there. And, and these yeah. RFA signings are kind of highlighting that. Yeah. So onto the forwards of the RFAs that were signed. Uh, we have Cole Lind, the Kraken's pick from the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at, you know, depth forward, right? You know, kind of look to see what you have in him. He's one of the younger picks that they made. Yeah. Yeah. And... No, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, the the forwards, it's not quite the same situation. They have a little bit more um, room to work around with having, you know, a couple, you know, NHL caliber guys like Bastion or Lind um, that they can keep on the active roster. And, and go ahead and scratch. They're not quite in that same situation where it's, you know, they have all these guys that they're going to have to move before the season starts. Right. And I think they're going to have a lot more flexibility there. So a guy like Colin, you know, you don't see that log jam necessarily happening. And I think you could say the same for the last one. Uh, and that's Alex True. Uh, the former Seattle Thunderbirds scored, of course, a very big goal in their history. It's cool having him back in Seattle and he signs, uh, a one-year deal at uh, $750,000, which is a uh, league minimum. So that's a good bargain signing. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the fourth line, uh, you know, at some point this season for the Kraken. Yeah, certainly, you know, as the season goes on, figuring out overall team chemistry, figuring out line chemistry. Um, right now, I, I kind of view him as, you know, odd man out as far as being on the active roster or not, potentially. But um, you know, training camp's going to really determine a lot of what happens with this team. Yep. No, that's for sure. So on to the UFAs and the most recent signing, Marcus Johansson. Now, I know you've got opinions on this. <laughs> Tell me what you think of this signing. Right. So last week on the podcast, we kind of talked about how, you know, Ron Francis had hinted that he wanted to, you know, Add, add a depth signing, a bottom six signing to the team, and we were both kind of like, you don't really need one. Um, the bottom six looked, you know, totally uh, capable of doing anything that the Kraken want to do. Um, I don't dislike the signing. It's, you know, only a one-year deal. It's for very little money. You know, Kraken have tons of cap space. But it, it's, it's just a little confusing because if... Marcus Johansson is going to come in and play center, which he's capable of doing. That would knock like Morgan Geeky out of the lineup to which I then wonder, you know, it, it brings us back around to why was Morgan Geeky the pick from Carolina instead of Jake Bean, which yes, that would have added another defenseman to their already overcrowded, you know, defensive positioning. Uh, but, you know, he would have been an asset that you can flip for a decent return. Uh, Morgan Geeky is not that. So, you know, it's possible Johansson's just coming in to play left wing, which is, you know, something he's also done a lot in his career. But it just seemed like you were just adding to, you are already adding to a strength. It didn't seem like it was really um, adding to the team as far as, you know, point production or goal scoring. Yes, he's been a 20-goal scorer, but that was 
a while ago on a very good Washington team where he was getting a lot more ice time than he's going to be getting in Seattle. So I, I, I'm just really kind of confused by why this was a priority. Right. And I'm looking at the projected lineup. And of course, when that signing was made, I had to edit the projected lineup and see kind of where uh, Johansson was going to fit in. And I really didn't want to bump Morgan Geeky off the roster. And what I ended up doing is I moved Johansson to left wing uh, and and made Nathan Bastion a scratch. That seemed like probably the best place for him. But if that's the case, I, I just don't know how much better your forward group is getting there and, and where the fit is. I mean, it's nice to have someone who can play center, especially with Gord missing the start of the year, if you need that. But... Uh, yeah, I just, like you said, I don't necessarily see where the fit is. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever, that said, whatever, yeah. whatever lineup move this results them making, it, it seems like a lateral move. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like an upgrade over anything that they already had. Right. And the thing is, Ron Francis talked about adding bottom six help. And when he said that, so we've known this kind of signing was coming for a while, right? And so we've talked about this, not knowing who it was going to be and thinking, okay, well, what could he be looking to be adding? Because this bottom six is already one of the best in the NHL. I mean, that's what you get from the expansion draft format is you tend to get like the best bottom six guys that there are in the league. So the Kraken already had an excellent bottom six. So we figured, okay, well, what does Ron Francis think is missing here? And it looked like there was a pretty good answer when he was going after Casey Sezikis reportedly from the Islanders, because as good as the Kraken's bottom six is, you can never have enough guys like Sezikis in your bottom six that just make the opponent work and, you know, really punish the opponent or just difficult to play against. And Johansson, he's a very good two-way player, but I don't know that he's, he brings what Sezikis brings. I think they're very different players. Yeah, um, he's, he's certainly not going to bring this like bruising mentality to the Kraken that's just going to, you know, grind you down to dust in the playoffs or something. That's not really his thing. You know, we talked about there's kind of two ways of doing that. There's the there's the big heavy guys that are just going to, you know, forecheck and hit you, hit your defense and and like I said, grind them down to nothing over the course of a playoff series. Or there's the guys that are like the hustle guys where they're going to just tire you out. Their their motor is set to 150% and they just do that all the time and and they just wear your guys out to the point where they can't be effective when they need to be anymore um Johansson falls more into the category of the latter but I still don't think of him as one of the elite hustle guys out there um certainly not you know of all the guys that were on the market this year granted they they all really kind of got overpaid the you know Barkley Goudreau's and the Blake Coleman's and stuff but that's true. That tier did get did get overpaid. And so if you're looking at it from that perspective, you know, Johansson at, at 1.5, you know, is is a bit of a bargain there. But really the contract gets into why I think this is still not a bad signing, and it's the term. It's one year, and when you've got over 10 million dollars in cap space, when you have that kind of room to work with, I it's going to take something really bad for me to be against a one-year deal. Just because there is no downside. There's no downside with this signing. If he works out and is a good depth scorer for you and all that, great. And, you know, there's no risk. And if he doesn't work out, 
then that cap space frees up at you know at the end of the year and you know you just move on and if for some reason the kraken aren't in a playoff spot you know come the trade deadline if it looks like that's not realistic hopefully that's not the case but if it is you could probably flip him for some you know late round draft pick or some some kind of asset um so yeah i I have no problem with the signing just because there's no risk like give me all the one-year deals right now anything you think might help the team just sign him to a one-year deal if they're willing to take it yeah and that's that's totally you know you're right on the money there as far as there's there's little risk involved like i said it was just kind of a head scratcher for me it was, it's been a head scratcher all along when he was talking about you know wanting to add to the bottom six just because i thought it was it was already you know pretty polished but obviously ron francis didn't feel that's the case and you know he's the guy making the shots right calling the shots so now one thing the signing does do and i just want to give this little fun fact for the listeners here we were talking just between ourselves last week about how many 20 goals, like where the goals would come from on the Kraken and how many 20 goal scorers Vegas had on their opening night lineup versus how many the Kraken have. And in their opening night lineup, the Golden Knights had four 20 goal scorers, prior 20 goal scorers in that lineup. David Perron, James Neal, Jonathan Marcheseau, and Riley Smith. And now with the Johansson signing, the Kraken have four as well. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Everly, Yanni Gord, and Marcus Johansson. Now, I think there's a difference in caliber there between those four for the Kraken and what Vegas had. But on paper, they got 420 goal scores. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in that regard, things line up. Obviously, uh, the Golden Knights had some guys that, you know, scored a lot more than 20. James Neal, of course, being a 40-goal scorer at one point. Yeah, don't, so, don't worry about that. Yeah, no, that doesn't matter. Um, and as you know, as I kind of touched upon, you know, Johansson's one 20-goal season was kind of, he was playing a top-six role on a Bruce Boudreaux Capitals team. So, you know, that was, and he was seeing like 18 minutes a night. So I don't know that that's going to be the case here in Seattle, but uh, you never know. I mean, Guys like him are capable of getting hot for a season, especially you know it's a one year deal. It's a contract year, right? How many how many times have we seen guys in contract years just go off? Yep. No, that's, it can that's, happen. That's the benefit to just signing one year deals on top of everything you already said. I guess just sign everybody to one year deals every year, and you'll get contract seasons out of all of them, right? That's how it works. Motivation. They don't, want to re- they don't want to re-sign the next year, but... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry about that. You just sign a whole bunch of new one-year deals, you know? Exactly. So, another one-year deal the Kraken have signed, and it's uh, their final UFA that they signed in the past week. Defenseman uh, Connor Carrick. So, where do you think he fits in, Dylan, uh, in the lineup? We talked about the glut of defensemen already. Yeah. <laughs> where does he stack up here? Uh in charlotte with the checkers like there's already too many yeah there's already too many nhl caliber defensemen on this roster and he's always been a borderline guy like every season he's played he's bounced between the nhl and the ahl for the most part so um i i don't i don't foresee him making you know an impact for the kraken this year in seattle but you know if if injuries happen if they move, you know, two defensemen out, which they probably could. Um, 
then all of a sudden you start looking at him maybe being the seventh guy or certainly being the obvious injury replacement should something happen. Yeah, I think this is a signing to bring some, you know, kind of leadership to Charlotte. Um, he's got a lot of experience, you know, in the NHL and AHL. I think he'll be a good leader to have there with the checkers, but that's ultimately where I do see him, uh, given how crowded this blue line is. Um, but he does have some incentive to try and, you know, play well and work his way up to Seattle. He's a big uh, coffee guy. He's a big coffee aficionado. And of course, there's a lot of that in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So if he can make his way up to Seattle, um, I'm sure uh, he'll love it here. Yeah. So next bit of news. Uh, and this is a cool announcement uh, from Kraken CEO Todd Lywicki. Uh He mentioned uh, last week that every practice held at the Kraken Community Ice Center will be open to the public. And, of course, it's light on the right on the light rail line, and there will be free parking. Uh, so I think this is great news, and it's something I was really hoping the Kraken would do. Uh, I talked about it a bit in our most recent YouTube video, Five Lessons the Kraken Can Learn from the Golden Knights. You can go check that out on our YouTube channel. But opening up practices and encouraging fans to come was one of the things that really helped build excitement for hockey in Vegas as they were starting out. Like, if you look online, you can find pictures of the Golden Knights practicing, and the stands are just packed with fans. And it's really cool to see. It's something you don't see with every team. Uh, but it really helped generate excitement for a new team. It's a great way to get fans involved. And so for those considering going, Dylan, I know you've seen some NHL practices. You know, you've mm -hmm. been around rinks a lot as a scout. Tell me, what's what's that like? Let our listeners know kind of what, what is an NHL practice like and why should they go? Yeah, so they're really interesting because, you know, when we think of professional sports teams practicing, at least in my mind, we go to like kind of the, you know, NFL standard where it's usually very closed off and there's lots of secrecy and all this stuff because they're working on, you know, their play design and all that stuff that's, you know, they have to keep secret for competitive reasons. But when you look at something more like the NBA or the NHL, where it's a very free-flowing sport, right? You know, uh, something Jeff Merrick over at Sportsnet always talks about. Hockey's the only sport that can essentially go a full period without ever having a stoppage, right? If a goalie never freezes a puck and no goals are scored, you could, te you could technically go 20 straight minutes without anything uh, having to stop the clock. So that free-flowing nature means you don't have a lot of set play design to work on. Really, it's more just about building chemistry amongst players, um, letting them learn, you know, how each other plays and, and, and then they'll develop plays, you know, as situations unfold on the ice later. So having practices open, you know, it's, it's kind of more natural for the NHL. Um, and what it means is you're getting to see these NHL players. Usually practices are either free or they're really, you know, inexpensive. So... Uh, I know that's one thing I've seen lots of people talking about with the Kraken. Obviously, tickets are very expensive this first year. So this will be, a you know, assuming it is it is lower cost. I can't imagine it wouldn't be. Uh, it'll be, a you know, a nicer way to go and see these guys. You're going to be way closer than you usually are at a game because uh, practice facilities are just smaller. You're able to, you know, just stand up against the glass and see how big these guys are. That's always the thing that gets me whenever I'm around NHL players at ice level is just how big they are, um, especially this team. <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> I can't imagine Alexiak in skates just staring up at him, uh, craning my neck to see. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because you, you're getting to see how big they are. You're getting to see how fast it is. That's the other thing that comes from being closer. I think a lot of people don't realize is just how fast they're going. They're all going, you know, 25 miles an hour plus. Um, you get to see them try a lot of fun stuff. Generally, practices are pretty light hearted. Um, you know, you'll see them do games, especially with the goalies. Uh, you get to see guys trying off all sorts of tricks for if they're ever on a breakaway or in a shootout. Those things are always fun to see. And generally, there's also a lot of fan interaction towards the beginning or ends of practice where, you know, players will be tossing pucks up to kids or, uh, you know, making faces through the glass, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> there's there's always there's always a good reason to go. Um you know, it, it just builds that love for the team, love for the players. And, and that's why I'm really happy that the Kraken decided to do this. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, you The personality really comes out for all the players, and it's a great way to kind of connect and, like you said, build that love for the players. And especially if you have kids, bring the kids out there. It's a great experience for them. They get to see the players up close and in a way that you don't really get at games where... You know, if you want to be that close at a game, you're paying several hundred dollars, you know, a seat just to get there. And the players are going to be locked in They're in game mode. You know, they have to be a bit more serious. They're, you know, they're really working. And um, in practice, it gets a little lighter like that. And you'll see them, you know, waving to kids and such. So um, I think it's going to be great that the Kraken are doing this. Uh, we'll see if it continues in the playoffs, because I know some teams uh, don't do that in the playoffs. Because even though there isn't as much secrecy, you know, with the plays and such as other sports, I know that some teams generally kind of believe that in the playoffs, you know, they <laughs> they want to be very careful about, you know, what it is that they're they're showing and giving yeah. away. Yeah, but usually, I was yeah. going to say, usually that's because of injuries and stuff. Like I grew up going to Ducks practices and seeing those and they they are one of the teams that shuts that down going into the playoffs. And to me, it's it's always felt less about like, oh, we're working on this new power play setup and, and more of we don't want you to see which guys aren't practicing because of how hurt they are. You know what I mean? Because right. that's <laughs> the thing you, that's the most valuable commodity in the playoffs as far as secrecy goes is how hurt are guys, right? <laughs> that's the information you need to keep safe. Yeah. But I know that there's that belief among some teams that there's a potential competitive disadvantage there. And I do want to shout out, you know, as I was researching for that Vegas video, the Golden Knights don't believe that. They are committed to keeping practices open, even during the playoffs. And it's something that I hope the Kraken will do. And you look at the playoff success that they've had, you know, few teams have won more playoff games in the last four years than the Golden Knights. You know, they went to a cup final year one as their practices were packed in the stands. They were beating these teams. So... I don't think it's that big a competitive disadvantage, if any, really. I don't. I don't really buy into that. Um, no, I and think... so I'm hoping. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm hoping the Kraken uh, stick with that. And I know for the Golden Knights, it's an ownership decision. They are the ones who set that mandate. The practices are going to be open. When they changed head coaches from Gerard Gallant to Peter DeBoer a couple years ago, there were questions about, well, is DeBoer going to still keep these practices open to the public? And I remember reading, it's not his decision. It's ownership that's decided that. So I hope that's something Kraken ownership is going to commit to. Yeah, and it, you know, for the moment anyway, it seems like they are. 
Uh, I was just going to say the other thing with it is it can be a double-edged sword in the playoffs having practices open because on the one hand, you might you know, decide your team needs to be more locked in and they need practices to be a little more serious. And th- so that might be a reason you um, keep fans out. But it seems like Vegas has shown if you have fans come in and they're super pumped up, it'll pump up the team even on their off days. And I think that that's something that could be valuable during um, – especially deeper playoff runs as guys are getting worn down and stuff. It's nice to have that extra shot of, you know, a crowd cheering for you, even though you're not playing in a game. I think that just helps raise morale and it, and it gives, you know, it shows what you're playing for. In addition to your own success and everything, you're playing for this fan base. And I think having that there during some of the most trying of times is something that could be beneficial to some teams. Yeah, there's that saying, you want to practice how you play. Mm-hmm. Practice how you play, and having that playoff energy at a practice, what better way to prepare you yeah. for uh, the playoff game? So, moving on. Uh, next bit of news I am really excited to talk about, probably more than most people, so you can kind of rein me in here if I if I get too excited about this. Because um, this is going to make my game day experience personally... A whole lot better. Uh, And so anyway, Climate Pledge Arena, through their Twitter yesterday, announced they will have 20 touchless water bottle filling stations at the arena for events. They'll be free to use. And most importantly, you will have the option to bring in your own empty bottles to fill up. Now, I think this is awesome. So I understand I'm probably in the minority, but I prefer just drinking water at games. Like, I mostly just drink water now in general. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm not, not into all the beverages at games. I just like drinking water. So what would happen in the past is, of course, I'd go to an NHL hockey game and I'm thirsty and the water bottles cost like three or four bucks. And I know we've all felt that frustration about how expensive food and drinks can get at sporting events. And, you know, it's one thing if you're, you know, paying for a beer, you kind of know that's going to be a lot. But I'm like, oh, this is just water, you know, that's like four bucks. But now I can save a few bucks and use less plastic while I'm at it. And of course, at Climate Pledge Arena, you know, that's really something that I I think they should be doing. But that's a huge win-win for me and I think a lot of fans. Um, And I'm sure they will miss out on a good amount of revenue from water bottle sales. Like, you know, looking at that, you must think the margins on these have got to be huge on the water bottles, given yeah. how inexpensive they are to, to get and everything and how much they can sell them for. But it's this is choice is better for fans. It's better for the environment. So I want to give a big shout out to Climate Pledge Arena. Good on them for doing this. Yeah, I think it's kind of that, it's kind of one of those perfect ways of reaching out to fans. It's It's staying true to their identity that they've, you know, said they wanted to be all along, which is to be the most sustainable arena and arena experience in the NHL. Um, so they're staying true to what they've already told us. And then, you know, as you said, it's just a great option for fans. If you don't want to be dropping four, I've seen water bottles at games, $5, right? You don't want to be dropping five bucks for a, a bottle of water. You can just bring in your own thing and fill it up however often you need to or want to. And I think that's, that's a big deal because, you know, when talking to fans, particularly families, what, you know, that's part of what goes into the costs of a game day experience and something that I've noticed throughout my lifetime going to games, 
you know, there's always been, there's been a lot fewer families that I've seen at games. Um, and I think all this stuff gets added into it, right? It's parking on top of the ticket costs going up, it's parking, and then it's concession prices have been raised, you know, hundreds of percent just in my lifetime, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so just taking one of those things kind of away, I think is a big deal to people. Um, when it when it comes to budgeting to you know as far as going to a game so i'm i'm really appreciative for this yeah absolutely and i'm excited to see what else they come up with i'm sure there are going to be other things like this too that are aimed to improve fan experience you know we're still a ways out and uh, i think we'll get some more announcements like this so i just uh, i'm really excited to see that the one thing i have a question about is did they make any mention i didn't see any thing about it but did they make a mention about they had to be plastic rather than metal uh i didn't see anything about that no that is a good question just because you know we've seen like with the islanders this year right uh player uh fans throwing those kind of aluminum <laughs> beer things out there there's some pretty heavy solid metal refillable water bottles that i could see them not necessarily wanting in the arena just in case something was to happen um hmm. But you know that was that was my only question because my I have a metal refillable water one and so I was just wondering like am I going to be able to bring that or am I going to have to go out and get you know a, a plastic one so right I do too and I think a lot of people do it seems like the metal ones are are quite popular um, yeah there's some certain things you don't really think about until you know you watch an Islanders playoff game and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they make you consider things you wouldn't have otherwise considered. Exactly. Um, let's just let's just keep that quiet so the arena people don't think about that. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to bring my metal uh, water bottle in, and I promise I will not throw it on the ice. I I don't think Seattle fans are the type to do that. No, that seems like a very you know Islanders centric kind of thing to do. Yeah, I think they're a unique breed. I don't I don't think uh, you're gonna see that really anywhere else. Gotta love them though, and not not say anything bad on the Islanders fans. Gotta admire the passion. Yep, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so a little bit of salary cap news. Uh, moving on from the game day experience onto the more uh, onto the more you know money side of the salary cap. Uh, Hockey insider Frank Saravalli is projecting that the salary gap uh, will go up by a million dollars a year for each of the next four years before then having it grow to kind of catch up, you know, with, with where the pace is. And the reason for that is that the players still owe the owners a lot of money and it's going to take time to kind of pay that off. And it, this is going to give teams also just a little bit extra flexibility there, uh, even if it's just a little bit. So Dylan, what do you think? Well, one, are you buying this report? Cause I know you've told me in the past that you think the salary cap's going to go up faster than we think it will and faster than the projections are going to happen because this new revenue is going to come in. So one, are you even buying this report? And then two, what does that mean for the Kraken and for the league? Well, I'm certainly buying it a lot more than the last report that we were going to have five years of flat cap, which made no sense to me because you were basically saying league revenue will not go up when people show up again. Like once we have fans in attendance, league revenue is going to stay flat, which never made sense to me. Um, 
I buy this certainly probably year one, it'll go up the million. That makes sense. Maybe year two. But after that, I see it going up by more than a million a year just because you're going to have things like, um, well, not just attendance, which I think is going to, you know, be very good coming out of the pandemic. Uh, I think, you know, you're get, we have the new TV deals that were just signed, which, yes, they were not what the NHL was hoping for pre-COVID, but it's still an influx of a lot of money each year. Uh, you have the helmet sponsorships that are staying around, that's adding more money that didn't exist a couple years ago that should be raising the cap. And then, you know, if at, certainly if at any point they decide to go ahead and go all out and do jersey sponsorship, I mean... There's no way the cap doesn't go up from that. So, um, you know, I'm excited to hear this because to me it seemed like something that had to happen. But, you know, I'm excited that it's it's they're at least talking about it sooner than it seemed like they were going to. Because, you know, we're not that far away from them talking about a five-year flat cap. So for them to already be readjusting uh, is, I think, a good sign. And, it you know, it means the numbers internally for the nhl are looking better than they were you know perhaps fearing yeah it's only been a matter of months since we were talking about flat cap for five years and now it's adjusting and um it does seem like that hints it at probably what you were saying from the beginning being closer to correct um so that's probably good for the overall health not probably almost definitely good for the overall health of the league but from a kraken perspective i mean Obviously, you want the league to be healthy and everything, but the flat cap is kind of a big advantage the Kraken have in that cap flexibility. Should Kraken fans be rooting for the cap to stay as low as possible? I mean, it's that that is something that the Kraken have to their advantage that other teams don't, is that they can weaponize cap space in a way few existing teams would be able to. That said, Ron Francis hasn't exactly seemed like he's eager to do that. So if the team doesn't really want to take that approach, then I say go ahead and let it let it rise so that they have, you know, more room to, you know, re-sign players like Vince Dunn at the end of this two-year deal if he really pans out. Or um, Matty Beneers, if he comes in and is fantastic and, you know, you want to pay him what he's worth and make sure he stays a Kraken for a long time. So um, if the Kraken aren't going to be committed to using that cap space in the way like Arizona is right now, where they're just going to take on every bad contract for a price, then, um, you know, I, I think it benefits the Kraken for it to continue to go up. Right. And that's kind of the point where we expected the Kraken to take more advantage of of that kind of flat cap leverage, like the Coyotes have done, essentially, you know, taking on the bad contracts for assets. And that's really the situation where the cap staying flat helps you the most because then these teams are over a barrel and there's, they know there's nothing they can do for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen the Kraken do that at all. They haven't made a single move to bring in a bad contract, you know, with an asset attached. Uh, so that's clearly just something that's not in their strategy. So I, I think you hit on it there that, yeah, why not have the cap go up? I mean, you have a few guys whose contracts are expiring you know, at the end of this year, you have a lot of guys, you know, one year's one year left, Jared McCann, Yarncroak, uh, Mason Appleton, you know, Appleton's going to need a new deal. And hopefully he's as good as, you know, as we think he will be. Um, so certain guys like that are going to have to get paid and uh, that cap space can help with that. Yeah. 
So speaking of the cap going up and that maybe look, making some contracts look better, I know one team that's really hoping the cap goes up uh, is the Edmonton Oilers. And certainly more so after signing Darnell Nurse to that big contract, which, man, it, uh, some of these deals, you know, will age poorly. But this one, just even at the time of signing, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about this one. And it really shows, you know, where the D market is at. We talked about that a little bit uh, on the podcast last week, but but we didn't really get too deep into it. But, I mean, now it feels like we have to. Darnell Nurse... Eight years, $9.25 million. I, what's going on here, Dylan? Yeah, so obviously defensemen are getting paid like they've never been paid before. And so I was trying to think, you know, what's really driving that? And I, I have a couple ideas that I'll get to. But real quick, just on Nurse, I mean, I think quietly because he's been playing in Edmonton, that's always had a problem, you know, on defense. It's always been you know, the the forwards kind of show. They had all those top picks. They were all forwards, right? Uh, certainly since McDavid's been there, he is the focal point of the team anytime you're watching them, all that kind of stuff. But Darnell Nurse has been a really good defenseman. He's been a top 10 defenseman in this league. So, I, you know, if, if this is what the new market is, I don't see it as being a bad deal for him particularly. It might be a bad deal for the Oilers, just considering their overall cap situation is not good. But um, I, I don't have a problem with him personally making uh, this figure. Now, as far as defensemen in general, all making now, these top defensemen all making over $9 million a year against the cap, um, you know, I just have one question for you, RJ. Who plays the most minutes of any skater in an NHL game? I mean, it is. Well, it's of any skater. It's the it's the defenseman. It's the number one defenseman. And, you know, especially in the playoffs, you see they have the potential to get up 27, 28, playing almost half the game. Right. So doesn't it kind of make sense that maybe they should have been all along, maybe getting, you know, paid a little bit more yeah i mean there's there's that impact that they have playing like you know half the game being able to do that sort of thing um you know but you have to make sure that they really are the kind of elite defenseman that can do that i know darnell nurse as far as like time on ice for sure he can be that guy but i don't know is the impact they have on a game greater than a top line forward you have to look at you know, allocation over like a replacement level guy. Because with a forward, like let's say, you know, a Dreisaitl or McDavid, you're talking about replacement level being, you know, some fourth liner, you know, guy like that who just, you know, he's going to have a harder time standing in and doing what what a top line forward does versus as we've seen, you know, over the past few years, you can kind of, you know, you can kind of work together a blue line full of guys that each kind of share a little bit of the load. I mean, it helps to have that superstar defenseman, but you know, as as far as replacement level, I, I think there's there's not as big of a gap there. Well, certainly not when it comes to like a first line center, which you know both McDavid and Drysaitel are perfectly capable of being. But you know, then I'll then I'll go to my next question, which is, you know, what's the one position that can put up you know sixty points, you know, ten, fifteen, sometimes even twenty goals, as well as be you know 
the best person on defense, right? It's it's a lot of these same guys that we're talking about. So I, I think there's an element of, you know, going back to the NFL, does it make more sense to invest sometimes in defense because not only is it keeping the other team from scoring, but if you have a good defense, you're creating turnovers and you're creating then offensive chances out of those turnovers. So in a way, you're getting, you know, a little bit more than just the one-dimensional side of things uh, that you might be getting by paying a forward. Certainly by paying a winger, I think it makes more sense to pay a top D-man over a winger right now. Um, and that hasn't been the case for, you know, basically ever. But um, so I don't have problems with any of these defensemen making more than a winger just because I think their impact on the game is is far greater as far as being able to play both sides of the game. And then, you know, I guess my last thing would just kind of be, uh, well, I'm, I'm spacing on what my thought was. Hold on. <laughs> Do you have a comment on the winger thing? Yeah, I mean, well... Certainly, I, I I think you have to be very cautious about paying wingers, um, you know, over centers. I think centers and, and defense, yeah, those are the top two positions you want to invest in. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, but... I remembered my thought here. Cool. All right, so my other thing is just when we look at kind of mediocre teams that have gone on deep playoff runs, obviously there's the teams that have, you know, relied on a hot goaltender. You know, nothing is going to beat that in the playoffs. If one team's just got a goalie that is on, that team is going to win a series. Like, there's just no way around that. But we've we've seen plenty of examples of defensemen, you know, basically willing teams to cup finals, if not Stanley Cups themselves. I think of basically all the teams Pronger was on, whether it was Edmonton, the year he dragged them to the cup final, the year he won with Anaheim. He, you know, he was a big part of that win for Anaheim. And then the year um, in 2010 with Philadelphia, where he just chewed up, you know, 30 plus minutes every night and dragged that team to the cup final too. So I, I feel like, you know, we have examples of it with, with obviously a Hall of Fame caliber guy in Chris Pronger, but we saw it with Duncan Keith in 2015, right? Like he was the guy for the Blackhawks that year. And, and he is the reason you know, they just leaned on him and said, hey, just go play 35 minutes a night. Anytime our top forwards aren't out there, make sure nothing's happening and make sure the puck ends up in the other zone. And he did that and they won a Stanley Cup, right? So I, I feel like we, we've we seen defensemen make the kind of large-scale impact in the playoffs that we've seen top centers make and we've seen goaltenders make. So in my opinion, if you feel like you have one of those defensemen that are capable of making the difference in the playoffs, I think you have to pay to keep them around. But you better be right. I mean, that's that's my question to you, is how many of those guys are there in the NHL? And is Darnell Nurse one of them? Is Seth Jones one of them? Is Zach Wierenski one of them? I don't know. I mean, that's that's something that's more on each team, but I'd rather them do that than pay goaltenders like we've seen forever, right? Where it's like, oh, this goaltender got hot in the playoffs once, so we're going to pay him to keep him around. Like, talk about you have to be right. Like, there's a well, yeah, but just because there just because there's a worse decision that you could have made doesn't mean this decision's you know not bad. Um, yeah, but well, I, I don't know where else where else would you realistically like? There are teams if you're Columbus and you lose Zach Wierenski because someone else is willing to pay him, you have nothing on that blue line. Like there's just nothing there. It's a pit of nothingness. And so you have to you have to pay him to be there because guess what? He is the guy who's going to be out there thirty five minutes if you if you are in a playoff series. And you know what? He is good enough because he's like a twenty goal scorer. 
Rensky, okay, Rensky is the one name that I listed there that I think is one of those guys. I don't think Nurse is. I don't think uh, Seth Jones is, but I do think Wierenski is. I, I would argue Nurse is just because he's, as I was saying, he's a turnover machine. Because of his reach and stuff, he has been excellent as far as, you know, uh, stealing pucks from opponents or at least knocking them away. That's where he shines defensively. Yes, he's pretty physical and he's good at that, but where he shines defensively is in creating turnovers. So, I would argue uh, Nurse is there is is worth it, particularly on a team like Edmonton, where you just need to get the puck on you know McDavid or Drysdale's stick. I think Nurse fits in perfectly for that. How much do you think that factored into their decision? Because what I see with the Nurse deal, and this is why it's particularly egregious in my mind, is that no one was really thinking this kind of value for Nurse before this season. But he had an insane scoring season. I mean, he more than doubled his career shooting percentage this year, up to 10.4% off of 2.9% the year before. Like, the goal scoring strikes me as unsustainable. Yeah, and I would agree with that. But I think, I think, I think he was in line to get a big defensive, you know, a big deal for a defenseman going oh, for into sure. this season. And it's just that the market reset, so the number went up. Like, I don't think that the number spiked by 3 million per se just because he had, you know, he scored extra goals this season. I think that was just because everybody else started getting nine plus, so he had to. Like, so like the deal seems yeah. more a product of that. But, you know, you look around, look at um, Heiskanen or uh, McCarr or, you know, some of these other deals. Like, you can't tell me Kale McCarr isn't going to be worth nine, 10 million if he's going to be able to go out there, drive possession the way he's capable of doing better than you know arguably any forward can right like i i, I just he's think... one of those handful of guys that is worth it right and, and I, I i just think we're seeing that the handful of guys are getting those deals i think seth jones is is in my mind the most questionable one maybe dougie hamilton granted new jersey had so much cap space that it, you know hamilton's the other name it. i should have thrown at you instead of Wierenski. i mean is hamilton that that number one defense again i think he's capable of it potentially but I, I certainly don't think he's proven that yet no i mean that's that's kind of what i was just saying i don't think he deserved of all the guys i think he probably deserved it the least him and seth jones but you know we saw like six seven of these deals go down and if only two of them look really really bad that's not you know that's just keeping up with the joneses that's doing what you have to do and like i said the hamilton deal for new jersey i mean that they needed that just to get to the cap floor so it's not exactly going to cripple them long-term or anything. So last question with this, because the Kraken might face this situation at some point where they have a defenseman who looks really good, and but maybe isn't this like number one guy. I, I can't, I don't think of anyone on their roster currently who's who might be in line for that. So maybe Vince Dunn, if he progresses really well, but at some point they're going to have a decision like this to make. And what do you do? If you're Ron Francis, because it's always, I mean, it seems like you're, the decision's going to be hated either way. If you re-sign him to a contract that's a lot more than you think he's worth, like, you know, let's say the Darnell Nurse deal. I mean, the Oilers have, you know, taken a lot of criticism for that. But also, you know, it would have been a very unpopular move to trade him, which is the other decision you have. Or lose him for nothing, which is the other decision. Like, you're going to get a lot of backlash no matter what you do. What is what does GM Dylan do in that situation? I mean, it's it's hard to say not knowing what the player is and what the right. state it's of the case team is. Case. And and you know, 
I, yes, the Oilers have taken some flack for the Darnell Nurse deal, but have they taken more flack for that than for signing Zach Hyman to his deal or for the Duncan Keith thing? Like, if you have those two contracts off the books, Darnell Nurse's contract doesn't seem that bad in the grand scheme of things. You know what I mean? Like, it's all situational. Uh, like I was saying with Dougie Hamilton, like, ultimately it won't matter for New, Jer- New Jersey just because they don't have any contracts there to begin with. So who cares if one guy is making X amount, you know, 12% of the cap. It doesn't matter. There's no one there making any money anyway. So I, I, I think it's, it's hard to say without knowing who the player is, what the state of the team is. If, you know, you're keeping a guy that just, you know, was part of the reason you went deep into the playoffs, then yeah, you pay him. If, you know, you're talking about one of these top guys, I think you pay him, especially because as we just talked about, the cap is going to go up. It is not going to stay here forever. These contracts will look better over time just because they take up a lower percentage of the cap each year that passes, right? So, you know, if if COVID had not happened and the salary cap had jumped to like 95 million right now, is Darnell Nurse's contract look that bad? No, it's less than 10% of the cap instead of being 13% or whatever it is, right? It, it all of a sudden, it looks fine. And I think in a couple of years, the cap is going to raise to make it. I think I think GMs made these deals knowing the cap is going to go up. Is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean that would that would make sense as if they know something kind of like what you're thinking that that the cap is going to go up and that maybe they won't look so bad uh, over time. Yeah, so I I don't know I as far as what the Kraken should do, it's a case by case basis. Not knowing any details makes it kind of impossible to say, but uh, you know I I just think it's 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 what's happening and it's you know it makes sense that it's happening now it's the last we've seen all these teams go out and pour a bunch of money into forwards and have it not work so you know defense was the next option because there's teams are just not going to do it for goaltenders anymore they've all learned their lesson there and they've Mm -hmm. they've learned it for the most part on the winger market obviously toronto didn't with mitch marner haha but you know They've they've gotten a lot more cautious about even spending that amount of money on centers, so I, I I do think there's this shifting philosophy of, you know, who's on the ice the most, who's actually making the most impact in a game. Well, it's the defenseman that's playing 30 minutes a night. So, they if if we have a, a good one or we have someone we believe is good, they should be highly paid. Yep. Well, we'll see how all these contracts age. Uh, It'll be an interesting case study for sure. We'll have a few different uh, ones to look at. So everyone, thank you for joining us uh, on this episode of the Emerald City Hockey Podcast, uh, and we'll see you next week. 